If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew 18, we're going to be primarily there, but we'll also uh, look to God's Word in a few other places as we examine forgiveness. You probably remember if uh, you've been around for a while, but it was a Monday morning, October 2nd, 2006, and there was a school shooting, sadly, that really, it shook the nation. And as we know, all school shootings, I mean, they shake us. I mean, they're, they're terrible and they're tragic. But this one was a bit different. A 32-year-old husband and father of three named Charles Roberts walked into an Amish school uh, in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. He ordered the teacher and the boys out. Uh, remaining were 10 little girls. Um, sadly, uh, bound them together um, and began firing. Had an automatic rifle, had 400 rounds of ammunition. Uh, the oldest girl, the ages of the girls were between 6 and 13. And the oldest girl that was 13 said, please shoot me and let the other ones go. But instead, he just opened fire on all. How tragic. What was Robert's motivation to do such evil? He said, the kids said that before he opened fire, he says, I'm angry at God for taking my little daughter. So he began to fire. He killed five of them and critically wounded many others. Some will have wounds. I mean, all will have wounds, but uh, altering the rest of their life. Uh, when police uh, gathered and stormed the building, Roberts took his own life. Tragic, isn't it? I mean, Amish school, tragic. It's a broken world. Come back quickly, Lord Jesus. But within hours of this tragedy, the Amish community, including some of the parents who had lost their daughters, had offered forgiveness to Roberts and to his family. It was amazing. Amish communities and their forgiveness was actually the central theme. It was going to be the theme that would make the news. I mean, it, it covered the news. Of course, there's a tragedy. It's going to make the news. But within one week, 2,400 stories were, were, were being written, were written, talking about the Amish, the Amish community, and, and how can they forgive? This came, it became known as Amish Forgiveness. And within a week or two, there were 534,000 websites that were talking about Amish forgiveness. What emerged out of there was a book called Amish Grace. I, I read that book uh, that detailed those events. It was very interesting. I actually have some more insight for those of you who want to talk a little bit more about that book. Um, I'd love to talk to you after the worship service or sometime. Uh, interesting the way they see forgiveness. But forgiveness is not just for the Amish. And everybody knows who the Amish are, right? Uh, a Christian group that uh, is separated from society, uh, tried to um, put themselves away from modern conveniences. Uh, the Mennonites are similar, but these are the Amish. But forgiveness is not just for the Amish. Forgiveness is one of God's family values. And because God values forgiveness, Forgiveness should be something that we value, right? Forgiveness is one of God's family values. This is actually week 12 of a sermon series. There's just one more uh, next week to go on uh, God's family values. And if you're a part of God's family, 
because of his grace through faith, rejoice. Well, I want to say it every week. First and foremost, before we get to the family values, if you're a part of the family because of what Christ Jesus has done for you, if you're part of the family by God's grace through faith, rejoice, right? And so as family members, we're looking at what values should we hold? Now, for those of you who have not come to Christ Jesus and confessed him as your Lord and Savior, for those of you who haven't asked Jesus to forgive you, some of these family values are going to seem like, what in the world? Um, but it isn't until you understand uh, that we have been forgiven in Christ Jesus as a part of the family. Uh, these have make more sense. But in reality is this, is we need to forgive because why? God has forgiven us. This should be a value of ours, not just for the Amish, but for the Christian for those who are followers of Christ. And again, our standard for forgiveness, it is not the Amish, although we admire them, it's God. Our standard forgiveness is God, revealed to us in God's word. So there's gonna be three things we look at as we navigate this family value of God's, of forgiveness. We're gonna see three things. One is God is the father of forgiveness or God is the God of forgiveness. And the second thing we're gonna see as God has forgiven us, we are to forgive others. There's a parallel. As God forgives, we are to forgive. And then thirdly, love is the fuel for forgiveness. Again, like each one of these, uh, this is a little bit of a different sermon series. This is something that might be called more topical as we've looked at these family values. Instead of, instead of going through like First Timothy that we did and we just plow through that book, we're looking through all of scripture to tell us about who God is and how he values forgiveness. So today we're going to look at a story out of the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 18. We're going to have one verse that Paul will write uh, to the church at Ephesus. But also in this, you'll hear me refer back to the Psalms and all of scripture. Why? Because this one amazingly beautiful script, story that God tells us of who he is and how he rescues us. In that story, the Bible, we find a God who forgives. So let, let us read uh, starting in Matthew chapter 18. We are going to read verses 21 through 35 and then uh, turn to Ephesians 4 verse 32. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now, by the way, the rabbinic tradition at that time was three times. Forgive him three times and the fourth, forget it. So here, Peter being generous, learning, say, hey, I'll double that and add one. Should I forgive him seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. Therefore, he goes on immediately to tell this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one, uh, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. A talent was the largest measurement uh, uh, at that time. It was actually a weighted measurement. Uh, a talent equaled 6,000 denarii, and a denarii was a day's wages. So do the math. 10,000 talents, a sum he can never pay. And since he could not pay, his master had ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. 
So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. It's a big sum. It's a it's hundred days wages, but quite a bit differently. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, just like he had done, same exact words. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Paul writes in Ephesians 4 verse 32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, what joy is ours to come into your presence knowing that you are a God who is merciful and gracious, a God who is kind, a God who forgives our debts, that we in no way could ever pay. And God, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have received in Christ Jesus. And God, now you're commanding us to forgive others as you forgave us in Christ Jesus. And God, we could only do that if we understand the gospel. And we could only do that if we're empowered by your spirit and guided by your word. So because of that command and because of that promise, God, would you come and join us? God, would you speak through a broken sinner like me? God, would you do that which only you could do? Give us ears to hear your voice this morning. God, give us minds that would understand your word this morning. God, give us hearts that would embrace your truth this morning. God, be with us so powerfully that you would empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name this morning and each day until glory. God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. Let those things just be forgotten and fall away. But God, what is true and contains the good news of the gospel, oh God, use those things. Use that gospel to shape us, to make us more like your son, our savior Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. First thing we're going to see is that the reality is that forgiveness begins and ends with God. Forgiveness begins and ends with God. He is the one that is our sin ultimately offends the most, right? I mean, forgiveness has to begin and end with him because really he is a holy God and we are broken creatures. And he and he alone is the one who really makes forgiveness possible. Let me explain. God is the God of forgiveness. God is the father of 
forgiveness. This is actually who he is. It begins and ends with him, and it finds its actual availability through him. So I want to take us back. We started off our worship service reading Psalm 103. Uh, Hear again these words. Hear the words of the psalmist describing the God who is and the God who forgives. It says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And listen, forget not his, all of his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, your sins. Who heals your diseases. He does more than that. Who redeems your life from the pit. And who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Let's go to verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. These are these exact words that he gave to Moses. These are God's words. This is who he is. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Thank you, Lord. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. Thank you, Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. Praise God for a God who loves and forgives. Praise God for a God who treats us that way. He goes on to say this in verse 3. He's a God who forgives not some, but all of our iniquities. Praise God. I love that. He's a forgiving God. He says, well, I'm going to do more. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to redeem you from the pit. I'm going to do more. I'm going to crown you. I'm going to crown you with love. Steadfast love is mine. I mean, this is the amazing, lavishing, unstopping love of God to us. A God who forgives. A God uh, who forgives all our iniquities. A God who is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Can you imagine a God who was quick to the trigger? Can you imagine a God who was quick to, 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 to get snap justice? Can you imagine a God who wasn't slow to anger and who wasn't gracious and filled with mercy? I mean, we would be in such trouble, but this is our God. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, verse 8. A God who doesn't hold a grudge, verse 10. How do we know that? He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. Don't you think he should? I mean, he looks at us, he sees all our sins. He says, I'm not going to deal with you according to all your brokenness. I'm going to deal with you in love. I'm going to deal with you in grace. I'm not going to hold a grudge. Not only that, a God who doesn't do paybacks, verse 10, nor repay us according to our iniquities. I mean, I love the fact that, again, it's not a tit-for-tat God. Hey, you did this smack. Uh, You're out of line. I'm going to pay you back this. Well, I'm going to get you. You wait and see. You wait and see what's going to happen to you. That's not who our God is. God is a father who shows compassion to his children. Any good father shows compassion to his children. God is a God who remembers that we're fragile, that we're just dust. And I love when it comes to forgiveness. He's going to talk about height and width. He says this, for as high and great is God's love for us. It's eternal. It never ends. It is as wide as God separating our sins from us. As much as he loves us, he separates his sins from us. As far as the east is from the west. How far is the east is from the west? It's farther than Gators and Knowles fans. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's as far as you can get, he separates them from us. Now, you're smart. It's just a smart congregation. You're good Bereans. You probably want to ask this question. 
How does a holy God forgive sinners and not do harm to his holiness and justice? How does he just do that? I mean, Scripture tells us that God is holy. He can't just wink at sin. So how does God forgive all of our iniquity and not just obliterate his holiness or obliterate his justice? And here's the answer. Jesus is the embodiment of God's forgiveness. Jesus is the embodiment of God's forgiveness. How do we know that? He came, God put on flesh, and Jesus came among us, and he was pierced for our transgressions. I mean, he embodied that on the tree. Isaiah 53 says that he is that suffering servant. But Jesus is more. Jesus absorbed the Father's wrath for our transgressions. A holy God does get burning angry towards sin. But Jesus is that one who stepped in and took that blame. He took that wrath. And how do we know it? One of the most poignant things at the cross was this. Jesus cried out and he said this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The language is very interesting. It's the first time on the cross that Jesus is going to use a very formal term. My God, my God. By the way, he's quoting scripture there, Psalm 22. But he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, there's a change in relationship here. Everything else he's saying, calling out, Father, Father, forgive them. Father this, Father that. All of a sudden it says, my God, my God. Why? Because God the Father, holy God, is pouring out his wrath for our sin, your sin, my sin, on our substitute, his own son, Jesus. And he's pouring it out. And, and, and Jesus is absorbing the Father's wrath, crying out, saying, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? He forsook him so he could draw us in and bless us. Jesus became a curse for our transgressions. Not only absorbed the God's Father's wrath, he became a curse. Scripture says, cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree. As we look through Scripture, we realize when sin entered the picture, Genesis 3, a curse came. A curse came on the ground. It's broken. Everything we do is by the sweat of our, our brow. A curse came and, and that everything about us is broken, everything around us is broken. It's a curse. How do you reverse the curse? As far as the curse is found is something we sing at Christmas time. How do you reverse it? Jesus becomes it. Jesus becomes the curse for sin on the cross. Why? So that we could receive God's blessing. I mean, it's just amazing. Jesus bled and dies to atone for our transgressions. That's what the cross is all about. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body, that's the embodiment of forgiveness, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. Quoting Isaiah 53. Jesus bled and died. You say, I'm going to cover him. I'm going to pay for him. I'm going to do it. So you have a God, the Father, who initiates our forgiveness. You have Jesus, the Son, who's the embodiment of our forgiveness. And then you have this Holy Spirit, this triune God. The Holy Spirit is the application of God's forgiveness. I love it. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, reminds us that we need a Savior. And in John chapter 16, 7 and 8, um, Jesus in that upper room was telling his disciples and us, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage, Jesus says, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
It's basically saying forgiveness is possible because God the Father, that's his character. Forgiveness is possible because of what Jesus Christ has done in body and our sin. And forgiveness is possible because the Holy Spirit is given to us. And it's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sins and we cry out for God's mercy uh, in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit also makes us alive in Christ. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous, he's the righteous one, for the unrighteous, that's us. Watch this, that we, uh, that he might bring to us, or bring to God um, uh, his children by putting to death in the flesh and making us alive in the spirit. The Holy Spirit's job and forgiveness is to convict us. And the Holy Spirit comes into our life and it makes us alive. And we, we cry out, God, forgive us. We're broken sinners. This is the God who forgives. This is the God who is. This is the true living God of the universe. As God has forgiven us, the second thing, we must forgive others. The question is, how has God forgiven us? I read it to you in Ephesians 4.32. God has forgiven us in Christ. He's the source. He's the means. That's how he's done it. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So again, you want to ask the question, well, how has God in Christ forgiven us? That's what we read in, in Matthew 18. It was a story about a master, a king, a lord. Who do you think that is? That's God. That's, that's, that's Christ our king. And who are, the, who, are the, who are the servants? By the way, servants here are, are not the slaves that we think of. These are the ones who are working for the king. These are the ones who owed a debt. And what do we see in the story that Peter asks? How often should I forgive my brother who sins against me? And here's the answer. Continuously without end. Peter asks, should I forgive up to seven times? And Jesus basically gives something. It's not a mathematical equation. He's saying continuously. Seriously? Yeah. God's saying for those people that, that habitually are, are broken and habitually are stumbling and are causing you harm, uh, be wise. It doesn't mean you don't separate yourself from them. Be wise. It doesn't mean that you don't you, you keep your guard up. Um, but at the same time, when it comes to Scripture, forgive continuously without. How should we forgive in Christ? Mercifully, without reluctance. God showed mercy and, uh, and pity. He gave, forgave us without reluctance. And because of that, we should forgive one another without reluctance. Only could do it by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the gospel. But how should we forgive one another? Ah, darn it, I gotta forgive you. Ah, oh, man, you don't deserve it. You have no idea what you've done. You don't know how many sleepless nights you've caused. You don't know what you've done to me. Ah, oh, I'll grit my teeth and I'll forgive you. But man, I don't want to. But that's not God. He forgives us without reluctance. He forgives us fully, without exception. God completely forgave the debt. He pays our debt in full, without exception. Isn't that great? Can you imagine coming to God saying, God, will you forgive me? Okay, I'll forgive this, that, and the other thing. But that one, poof, wrong. Can't forget that one. Too dark, too bad, too awful. Can't do it. You know, I'll, 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 let's make a deal. I'll forgive 80%, 20% you're accountable for. That's a pretty good deal. I think I'd sign up for that deal if it came to God, but that's not our God. Our God says, you and I owe a debt to a holy God that we cannot pay. That's the whole point of the story. That 10,000 talents. 
The wages of sin is death. We have offended a holy God in a way we can never have a righteous life enough. We can't do enough. We can't give enough. We can't be moral enough. We can't be nice enough. We can't atone for our own sins. But he says, I'm going to do it all. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, I will pay the debt in full. When Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, he meant it is finished. The chasm between holy God and sinful man has been bridged. What God has done is sufficient for our forgiveness. He forgives us, not apart, but in whole. Isn't that good news? All of it, fully. So what should we forgive with one another? Dang it, fully. Don't you want to hang something back and just kind of pull it out when you can? Well, it is. Don't forget what you did. Let me just, let me, let me just put this right in your face. This reminds you. No, he says fully. As I've forgiven you, as you have been forgiven by God in Christ, forgive one another. Hoo-wee. Forgive fully. How about freely, without conditions? God forgives us without condition. He has to say this. Okay, I'm, listen. Can you imagine God? Okay, come on over here. I'm going to forgive you, but here's what I want you to do. You got to start tithing. All right? Good thing to do. I need you to go to church a lot more. All right? Your, your internet's got to be cleaned up. I'm telling you right now, it is bad. You got to clean up that. You got some habits. You know, you drink a little bit too much. Uh, right? And, and, and you got some other things that I know about. So, so here's the deal. I'm going to forgive you. But here's the deal. Here's what you're going to do. You want to sign that contract? Here we go. I died for your sin. So here, let's, 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 let's reason together. No, no. He says, I'm going to for- forgive you freely. You know, don't, don't try to barter. Don't think for a minute you're going to try to pull something out of your back pocket and say, well, God, you owe me. Or you, you know, I deserve this. Or I've, I've earned this. That's crazy. Christ forgives us freely. And we should forgive one another freely. Without ifs, ands, or buts. How good are we at that? <laughs> oh, man, I'll forgive you if you stop doing it, right? I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget what you did. And again, there'll probably be some memories you never will. I'll forgive you, but I'm going to mention to you a lot of times that I forgave you of this. I'm going to hang it over you. And you better just grovel, right? I mean, that's not our God. Isn't that good news? How merciful, how free, how full. How loving is God's love for us in Christ Jesus? He's forgiving you, not just a part, but a whole. He's taken, listen, not just some of your sins and made them as far as east is from the west, all of them. I feel like I, as a pastor, I got to tell you this. If he pays for your sins fully and freely, are you forgiving yourself? If he separated them from as far as the east is from the west, I mean, Satan's going to whisper in your ear and remind you all the time. And he's going to want to replay the tapes of all your brokenness over and over and over again. And you know what else he's going to do? He wants to play the tapes of all those who've broken around you and have caused you problems over and over and over again. Jettison them. Don't focus on what those have done to you. Focus on what Christ has done for you. My beloved wife gave me that quote last night. That was good, wasn't it? Don't focus on what those have done to you. Focus on what Christ has done for you. And he's forgiven you and set you free. Man, can you imagine what the church would be like if we did this? Can you imagine what the stir? I mean, listen, the Amish trying to do this, it, the world was a buzz. 
Who the heck can do this? But this is the call for all of us in Christ Jesus. To live and forgive as Christ God has forgiven us. No ifs, no ands, no buts. And then lastly, love is the fuel for forgiveness. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a beautiful story that is told. And I'm not going to read it to you. I just want to tell it to you. It's a story of Jesus. And Jesus is having dinner at a Pharisee's house. And the Pharisee's name is Simon. Now, if you read through the scriptures, you know that Jesus and Pharisees are like oil and water. They are the religious people. They're the ones who have the longest prayers. They're the ones who try to keep the law. They're the ones who are the most supposedly moral. I mean, they're, they're, but they're hypocrites. They worship God uh, with their lips, but their hearts are far from them. And Jesus has some real confrontations with Pharisees. And so to have one have them over for dinner, you'd want to know a little bit more of the story. What's up with that dinner? By the way, there was a Pharisee named Nic Nic Nicodemus who in John 3 came to Jesus at night because he didn't want anybody to see him. And he asked him, hey, how am I going to be saved? And Jesus talks about that whole born again thing. But I don't have time for that. It's another story. We're in Luke 7. So here he is. So he comes into the Pharisee's home, uh, Simon's home, and he's eating. And he's probably is he at the table. His feet are behind him. That was the tradition. They're sitting at the table. And all of a sudden, guess who shows up? I cannot believe it. It's the town harlot. She's there. And she can't stop giving attention to Jesus. Matter of fact, she's weeping. And her tears are washing Jesus' feet. And her hair is used to dry it. And she's anointing his feet with all that she had. The only oil she has, she's anointing his feet. And Simon thought, huh, what, kind of, what kind of prophet is this guy, you know? If he knew who was touching him, if he knew it was the town harlot, are you kidding me? I mean, he has no idea. This guy's not a prophet. This is the town harlot, and yet look what she's doing. And, and this prophet, Jesus, by the way, is the friend of sinners. And not only is this prophet, Jesus, the friend of sinners, he knew what that Pharisee, Simon, was thinking. So Simon, let me ask you the question. And he tells the story. He says, listen, there was a master, and there was one person who owned, had a little bit of a debt, and there was one person who had a lot of debt. And both of them are forgiven. Which one do you think loved their master more? And Simon said, well, the one that had bigger debt. And he said, listen, Simon, this one's had a lot of sins. But look at what she's doing. She's coming to me, and I'm forgiving her. And she's going to love richly because she's been forgiven a lot. But Simon, you're righteous, and you don't think you need to be forgiven. You think that God's going to approve you because of the prayers you offer, because of the religion, because the things that you give. You think somehow you're going to earn your way, Simon. But let me tell you, your love is like this. It's puny. And it's no good. He says, if you really want to learn that love is the fuel of forgiveness. Love is the initiator of forgiveness with God. For God so loved the world that he would give his only begotten son that who shall ever believeth in him shall not perish. It begins, forgiveness begins with love. Love is the measure of forgiveness. You know, I told you that story. And then at the end of that story, he says, therefore, therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Let me ask you a question. How much love do you have for God? I'm telling you, if your heart is on fire and you absolutely cannot get over it, you understand what God has forgiven you. If you understand what God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus, you are going to be ridiculous in love with Jesus. 
goes, are you kidding me? He paid for them all. Are you kidding me? He freely forgave me. He loves me this much. Are you kidding me? I'm his. I'm adopted in. Oh, my goodness. And the more you walk with him, the more you should see your dirt, and the more you should see his grace, and the more you should love him. And I tell you what, love and forgiveness go hand in hand. Love is the goal of forgiveness. The goal of forgiveness is love, a God of love, love to God and love to our neighbor. This amazing Amish community does an amazing job of extending forgiveness. But we don't have to journey to the Amish country to see forgiveness modeled. We can look right inside of our King's Chapel family. I'm going to end my sermon with reading to you an excerpt from something that one of our members' brother wrote. The brother, tragically this year, went to be with Jesus. And he wrote it about his sister, his sister Barbara. And he wrote this, it says, How My Sister Saved the World. It's too long for me to read, but I want to read to you some of this document. In the middle of the trial of George Zimmerman and the death of Trayvon Martin, just a few miles down the road, Jeffrey Carpenter, a white male, was shot to death by a black male and his accomplice. Jeffrey Carpenter was my nephew, the firstborn son of my sister. The initial desire for revengeful bloodlust was coursing through the family. We wanted the perpetrator caught, tried, convicted, and sentenced to death, and with great speed. The perpetrator and his accomplice were caught and convicted. That, that it, were, was, it were the story of how to save America was written unknowingly by my sister. I'm sorry, that was something else he had written. But again, he would go on to say, um, after more than three years, attorneys had come to a plea agreement for my nephew Shooter. He would serve 20 years less time served. If, if accepted, he would be out in his mid-40s, while his victim would never know his mid-30s, never know a loving, lasting relationship in the marriage, never fulfill nature's call to produce life beyond his own. The judge asked for family members to give an impact statement before deciding whether to accept the deal or go to trial. My sister asked for everyone that could be in the courtroom to please be there for moral support. And this would be the first time she had ever laid eyes on the man that killed her son. So without telling her, I hopped on a plane and met her right outside the courtroom at the appointed hour. Before seeing her, her husband told me that she decided to support the deal and asked me to please be supportive of her wishes. While I did not agree with it at all, it was not about, it was not about her, not me, so I agreed. It was about her, not me, so I agreed to keep my mouth shut. Um, he says, if anyone knows me, that's hard to do. Goes on to say, I saw the judge who was quite an attractive woman sitting elevated over the room, but under the words equal justice under the law, my blood boiled as I thought about what was happening. I wanted to get up and address the court telling them my nephew was seeking equal justice today. And when you brutally take away everything from someone, even their ability to breathe, equality would demand the same happen to the killer um, as they sat in front of her. I knew she would accept the deal uh, that the attorneys worked out, but at the very least, I could demand her to look at the words over her head but she, when she pronounced the, the sentence. But I was there to support my sister, and she needed to deal with a son's killer for me to keep my mouth shut, so I did. Goes on to say, my sister opted to sit in the witness chair where she could, for the first time, look into the eyes of her son's killer. At first, she looked to the judge and the audience, and she told the story of her son's life holding up pictures of his life from childhood to his time serving in Afghanistan. 
It was quite compelling, and everyone, including the bailiffs and the judge, had tears in their eyes. And then, after Jeffrey's story was told, my sister, not no, usually known for a soft demeanor, looked into the eyes of her son's assailants and for the first time announced that she would support the deal and she would allow him to walk in his mid-40s. And then she announced that she forgave him for what he had done. You could hear a pin drop for what seemed like forever. She went on to urge him to make something of himself when the debt was paid. Everyone was informed that the accuser had the right to make a statement before sentencing, but in a plea deal, they'd never do. They just sit there and accept the deal they had already struck. There's nothing to gain and very much to lose. So when the assailant said he wanted to make a statement, everyone's stomach got tight. He knew his fate, and he was going to give a parting shot to the family, in particular my sister. Instead, he turned his face. He turned his face. Instead, he turned to face her instead of the judge, acknowledging what he did, acknowledging the loss, his, uh, the, acknowledging that he lost his humanity that night, apologized and thanked her for her forgiveness. And again, the tears flowed freely as they agreed upon the sentence was announced. My sister later explained that forgiveness was the only avenue that made sense. What she had to do, what, what, what she had to do, harbor hatred for the rest of her life. She reminded us all that forgiveness is not just a gift to the person being forgiven, like the charity, the primary beneficiaries, the person extended the grace, and then just modeling and demonstrating that reality. Barbara Carpenter forgave her son's killer. What an amazing story. Um, those of you, we, we, we featured her on, on King's, Casey Corner one time. Can you imagine having to forgive that? Let me conclude with asking you this question. Have you been to the place where you've confessed your sins to God? He's a holy God. Have you asked God for mercy in Christ Jesus? He's a merciful God. Let me ask you this. Think about it. What do you need to confess to God? Where, where do you need his forgiveness today? What area? Are you afraid that he's not going to forgive you? He will. Are you afraid it's too dark? It's not. Are you afraid that you might just go right back to it? You might. But what do you need to do business with God today? What do you need to confess? And let me ask you this. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive that you just can't? It's been so hard. As Christ God forgave you. Forgive. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to seek forgiveness from? Forgiveness is part of God's family value. King's Chapel needs to be a church that continually asks God for forgiveness. That's who we ought to be, continually repenting. King's Chapel needs to be a church that continually offers forgiveness to one another, loving one another. King's Chapel needs to be a church that models God's forgiveness in Christ for the world around us. Amen? Let's pray. Now, Father God, thank you for being a God who forgives and yet, at the same time, being a God who's just. You couldn't do it if it wasn't for your son, Jesus, embodying forgiveness for us. On that cross, accomplishing forgiveness for us. Through that empty tomb, making sure that sin and death was defeated. And God, now you tell your people, all right, it's our turn.
forgive others as we have been forgiven by God in Christ. We can't do that unless we are compelled by your love. We can't do that unless we understand how much you have forgiven us. Oh God, I pray. I pray for King's Chapel. I pray that we would model a church that models forgiveness and love in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.